Welcome to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm Kelly Quinlan. I'm joined by Jared Hallis. We're going to talk about Georgia Tech, men's basketball, football, recruiting, and whatever else comes up as uh, we delve back into the the uh, the waters of Georgia Tech. And it's been a strange couple weeks. We just had a National Signing Day 2.0, um, which was kind of a big thud for every school except for the couple that made major coaching changes in the off season. And uh, we've had a whole nother part of a Josh Pag- Passner saga go down. And then the men's basketball teams kind of hit, hit the skids and, you know, you had a pretty brutal injury to, um, to Jose Alvarado uh, in the last game. Uh, as we post this on Wednesday, that'll be uh, the previous game, which was uh what was it Duke on Sunday? So, yeah, it's been it's been a weird couple of weeks for sure. When you say Jared, yeah, definitely. I mean, the the signing day two point thing was you know, obviously his first year that it's been going on. So it was it was different, but I think Georgia Tech overall I mean, finished pretty well. I know you spoke about it a little bit as well. Uh, that I mean, I, I I agree with you. I think it's one of the probably the best classes that that Paul Johnson has gotten along with like two thousand and ten and. And maybe last year's as well. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that you know they address their needs. <laughs> I think the biggest thing is they they kind of loaded up early on. Um, mm-hmm. You got the bulk of guys that you really wanted, and really kind of the biggest uh, moment for for the signing day was kind of that Friday. It was very quiet of the first signing period when they get James Graham to send in his paperwork, <laughs> lock up their quarterback in the class, and. That gave them another four-star guy. Yeah, and so that was their third four-star. You have Justice Dingle, the linebacker, who is a perfect fit in this 3-4, can play multiple positions. You have Mm Jalen King, who has a chance Mm -hmm. to come into play right away, and then James Graham, who's just a tremendous athlete and quarterback that will be really interesting to watch going in the future. So I think they kind of addressed their needs in the end. They ended up taking um, three kids that all committed basically – uh, the last weekend of recruiting, which were Jaquan Griffin, a defensive lineman from Rome, who's probably going to start out at end. Christian Malloy, who's going to start out at B-back, running back from Parkview High School. And then they flipped a kid that had been committed to South Florida since July named Jordan Dominic, who was a defensive end for, for South Florida, but will be an outside linebacker, pass rush linebacker for Georgia Tech. So that sort of stand-up hybrid um, role that, would have been Keyshawn Freeman or Antonio Simmons role in this defense. That's what Jordan will play when he gets to campus. Probably what um, you're going to see Henri Saint Amour play this season, actually. Yeah, I mean they picked up they picked up their what they needed, and they obviously like when the Sebo stuff didn't work out, they were able to find a good replacement in in Malloy. So I mean I was glad to see that, and then they made the additions with Jaquan Griffin, and you know that could help out with with his brother in 2019 as well. So like you said, they did 
They did well. There's one area of concern that, that I personally had, and I know a couple other people probably had, and that was that offensive line. So, I mean, Mike May, I think, was a, a really good pickup. Uh, but other than that, uh, I'd like to see some better guys coming in the future. Yeah, the there's not going to be a ton of excitement. Zach McKeon's a guy that Mike Seawalk was pretty high on. Um, I You know, I don't know. I don't see it when I look at his tape. I I like him. He's a nice kid. Um, I, I just don't see it. Harrison Jump was really kind of a stretch guy to me, but, again, a very nice kid. I just think that was a little bit of a panic offer at the time um, when they were in camp, and they kind of jumped on that kid, and there's kind of no turning back with him. And the biggest – piece of that offensive line puzzle though you have Mike Mayo I think is a very solid kid that they signed but it's getting Jack to four from Old Miss who may have three years to play three if he can get his appeal from the NCAA yeah that's true a lot of times I don't even think about that and he will yeah and he can play he'll start next year if he is eligible he will start at offensive tackle for the Jackets mark my words right now like he is he is probably the second best offensive lineman on the team right now coming into camp so I think that's a huge pickup if they can get him eligible. There was some deception there from the Ole Miss people. He's part of a class action – I'm not a class – a large class lawsuit uh, with a couple other players that they kind of may have pulled the wool over their eyes a little bit about the seriousness of what was going on and some of the stuff. And, uh, you know, I hope for Jack's sake he gets the opportunity to play right away. I think that he kind of got sold a bill of goods by Ole Miss. And – um you know, it would be a huge benefit because you add him and, and Andrew Marshall, and that's a lot of, uh, you know, experienced bodies. It gives you great competition with guys like Stickler and Jahazel Lee, who are also back. And I think that's that's kind of a great setup for Georgia Tech. It's pr- pretty much all you could ask for if you're Paul Johnson. Yeah, I mean, with 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 May and DeFore coming in, and, and like you said, if he gets that year of eligibility, there's there's absolutely no doubt they'll be starting. And and when you think about it, I mean, when you picture it kind of like how you were just lining it all up right there, it, it actually doesn't sound maybe as bad as the this incoming class made it sound. So, I mean, as of right now, I think I think we'll be all right. I think things are looking up, and and you know we've been able to start targeting some 2019 kids and been talking to them and a lot of them seem excited about getting their opportunity to play at tech so how how you feel about the 2019 kids so far i think there's despite kind of what's going on i think people kind of overplay that a little bit in their heads as fans like you know to them it's a bigger deal if you have an off season i think there's actually positive momentum right now for georgia tech in terms of recruiting and Mm -hmm. i think that um they're doing a really good job on the road. The coaches have, have signed some good kids, and I think they're making some nice kind of uh, pathways in the 2019 class. I think they've done a better job of kind of not wasting their time on, on kids that are kind of out of reach and being smart about that versus just going and ch- star chasing, which a lot of schools get stuck on, and then having to react. The, the window now is smaller, and that's something people got to understand. When that early signing period got put in, that changed the window and pushed the window up, right? So, oh, yeah. I mean, you have three less months to, you know, get after it. So Yeah, so now we're in a window that is essentially what you would consider probably May normally is this February period here with junior days and stuff. And you got these kids are realizing they got to get a little more serious early. So it'll be interesting to see where all of that takes uh, Georgia Tech's recruiting 
Paul Johnson's being a lot more aggressive in terms of offering um, so far compared to where they were a year ago at this time. So, and he's also broadening their net. They're hiring four new staff members for the recruiting office uh, as part of that recruiting initiative, which was launched on Jackets Online um, via the GTAA. They uh, they asked us to kind of be the the sort of first wave the te- water testers for for their uh, launch and mm-hmm. that worked out really well i think all parties are very pleased with that they're getting ready to launch a very large capital campaign mm-hmm. uh for georgia tech athletics they're going to try to to you know they're they're making the decision to go all in on football um at least todd stansbury is which is kind of what paul johnson thing. yeah and it's what paul johnson's asked for right he it's said, what the fans have asked for and i mean as long as i mean you want the coach happy, obviously, but if the fans are happy, then you'll get that'll you know generate more money, more seat, more butts in the seats during game time. So that's what you need. Yeah, and they've kind of they had been kind of hedging for a long time with Babinski and even Dan. I mean, think about it this way: this is the first like they're starting locker rooms and stuff up. It's really the first major project they've put in since. Um, Really, the indoor practice facility. They did some renovations, some very nice ones, the player lounges and stuff like that. But this is kind of the first other real wave of, of stuff. And I think you're going to see some more things happen down the road, and I think that's going to be part of what what um, Stansbury ends up doing in terms of building um, some new facilities, updating. And the Edge, you know, uh, Todd talked about it this week that, it's, you know, he said 1981 was great, which is you walk in that building and that's the the epicenter of your athletics program for all of sports. Right. And it looks except for maybe basketball and it looks outdated and that's sort of your window of the world. And those things can have, have been neglected for so long. So he's trying to fix those things. He's got a plan. The one thing I like about Todd is that he always has. A plan. He has, you know, nine billion things in his mind that he's working on. The biggest thing that he's got to focus on is trying to execute each of those plans. And he has a lot of great people around him that are trying to help support those plans and get it executed, so they can kind of kind of move Georgia Tech forward. So you're not stagnant. And you know, the people who complain about Paul Johnson or this and that, the truth is, if you want to support your program, you got to get behind what they're doing because. That's what's going to be attractive for the eventual future. I mean, let's face it, Paul Johnson's not going to coach for 10 more years at Georgia Tech. I don't think anyone envisions no, that. So you need to have the things in place. A lot of want yeah, definitely. And, and I know we've talked about it before, even on the podcast we talked about it before. It's just the state of the program right now is, although the, the product, I guess, on the field hasn't been quite as good, I mean, as far as basketball and football goes, I mean, neither team has been – you know where where anybody wants them to be. However, they're ma- they're they're putting their foots in the door. They're making the right steps. And as far as the locker room goes, especially, you said you said it before. I mean, the floor, the carpet it didn't smell good, <laughs> and you could tell just from looking at it in a picture. And that that to me is just like things like that. I mean, you have Clemson obviously making like huge, huge multi million dollar facilities and putt putt courses and basketball courts and all that. But at the end of the day, I mean. If you walk into Tech's new locker room, once by the time it gets finished, and compare it to a school like that, the the differences won't be nearly as as major as they were before. And to me, 
at this day and age, that makes a bigger difference than some people might think so. Well, it's like I talk about, you know, the kids just want to be able to charge their phone in their locker, right? Yeah, there at were, least. There were three power outlets in the entire locker room. Exactly. In the old setup. Like, I mean, there's just real basic stuff like that. And that's, you know, just from a lack of staying on top of stuff. And that comes from really, it's not, it's not Paul. It's not, you know, people like to blame coach Johnson. It's not him at all. He's pushed for all kinds of stuff. He tried to get the locker rooms changed, the weight rooms, all the stuff he got blocked on, uh, in the previous administration over the years. And he basically kind of had to, to, almost shame those guys to get some of the things done that he got done during that time period. So I think now you have someone that's sympathetic for Todd played at Georgia tech. He understands what it's Mm. like to be in an arms race. Um, And that's what this is. I mean, let's be real about this. You know, Alabama's spending $2 million on a recruiting lounge. Let that sink in for a a recruiting lounge. That's half of Georgia Tech's locker room funds. They don't have a recruiting lounge at Georgia Tech. Like, no. There's nothing that exists like that, you know, as in terms of a dedicated facility. What do you think goes on in a recruiting lounge? Like, What do you think it, the layout of a recruiting lounge is like? I don't know. I mean... Uh, game what, rooms or something? What? You know, that's what I wonder about. Um, I don't understand a lot of this stuff that's getting built, um, to be honest. Like... It's almost just like a come check out our new two million dollar recruiting lounge, and the kids are like, "Wow!" Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like a new ride at Six Flags or whatever. People are going to go to Six Flags, even if you have a new fancy roller coaster. You know, people still will show up regardless. I don't think you, I don't think you need all that stuff. I don't think you need to be UCF and build a, a lazy river. Quite frankly, they, no, they should absolutely. have sa- saved their money to fix their their break their stadium that's falling apart because it was poorly constructed. Um, they now have like they're now having to sue to try it and come up because it has millions of dollars worth of uh, uh, infrastructure problems. But anyways, like y- you look at all of this stuff and it just to me seems wasteful. But I mean, I you know I don't know. I I, mean, I talk to these kids. And it does seem to matter on some level to a lot of them that, uh, you know, they have a cool locker or, and let's, let's be real too. These kids spend a lot of time in these places. Like they hang Absolutely. out. Um, you know, I know how much the kids love the, the new, like the players lounges and stuff that, um, mm-hmm. were built. And when we're talking Tech. to those 29 kids, if you ask them like, you know, what stands out them, what they like about the school. I mean, a lot of times the locker room is the first thing out of their mouths. So if you're, if you're lacking in, in that department, then, it's just not a good sign. No, and it's sort of your first impression, right, on a parent or a kid. And if you're coming from, you know, because here's what happens, too. A lot of people don't think about it this way. If you're a kid from Florida and you're coming up to do junior day visits, right, you're going to go, a lot of them, what they'll do is they'll go to Auburn. They might go to tennis, up to Tennessee, come down to Georgia Tech, go over to Athens, and then go back down into Florida. They'll do some version of that, like, and they may not hit Georgia Tech, or they might skip Athens, or they might go up to Clemson instead, or, like, they're going to hit a bunch of these schools in this area, and you're getting judged against all of that, right? Not a lot of kids are doing just one trip, unless they live nearby. So, that's kind of your 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 sort of uh, base 
baseline of operations, and you got to step your game up a little bit. I mean, this is uh, this big boy football. Like you can't be. Um, you can't expect to recruit with you know with. I mean, your in-state rival Georgia, if if you're million dollars in facilities behind them. No, and the thing is, Georgia, to be honest, didn't really start stepping their game up until a few years ago. But you know, even despite having plenty of money, so I mean. But once that happens, it's you know you've got to keep up with the Joneses, and let's face it, you're f- surrounded on all sides. If you're at Georgia Tech, you're surrounded by Tennessee, South Carolina, and Clemson, Auburn, Alabama, and then to the south, Florida and Florida State. Yeah, and Georgia, literally fifty minutes, forty-five minutes away. <coughs> so you're you're surrounded in every direction by a school with a ton of money. And yeah. a huge fan base, so you gotta kind of maximize what you can do. And uh, one way to do it is, you know, it's it's amazing to me. Like they had trouble uh, in the past just getting things painted and stuff, like to to look half decent. And now all that's kind of changed. You know, Todd's definitely been, one, you know, very much on board with whatever Coach Johnson wants and trying to to understand that. You know, if you want to demand more from your football program, you know, they have to do things, too. It can't just be, you know, you can't walk in and I can't ask you to bake me a cake and then give you, um, you know, a box of rice aroni. Like, yeah. that's not going to make any sense, <laughs> right? You know, like, or, you know, an old out-of-date cake mix from the 50s. Like, you got to try to... to to roll with the punches and what's going on now. And I think that that's kind of where they're at. And I, th- I like the vision that Todd Stansberry has for the program. I think it will pay dividends in the end of time. I think a lot of people are skeptical. I think one of the things that um, if you go to Georgia tech, that kind of comes with the territory is some level of pragmatism um, just from how difficult the school is and all that. I think that a lot of that's kind of bred into people and, um, so I think a lot of people are kind of wanting to see what, what, what's really going to happen here. What are they going to do? And I think that's sort of one of the big issues going forward now is you've got to, to show, you got to show people something, right? And they're going to want to see some results. And so that's sort of a catch twenty two. But I think the reality of things are if their new defensive coordinator Nate Woody does a decent job. Georgia Tech's going to win eight or nine games, and you're going to have an opportunity to have a pretty successful season. Mm-hmm. And the the infrastructure's there to to they're starting to get to the point where they can reload rather than rebuild. They've been in these weird kind of spirals where they've had to rebuild and jump off a cliff. They were two heavy senior laden classes in in 2016 and 2014 with the success, right? And then it kind of fell back to earth a little bit um, after each of those years. And I think that the talent level's gone up a little bit across the board enough that they should be able to sustain those things. And losing an Adam Gatsis or a DJ White is not going to kill you or a Justin Thomas as much. So that's where also spending money and recruiting helps. And, you know, the staff has to do a better job as well. And that's something Paul Johnson said, too. He's trying to hold his staff to a a higher standard as well. So I think if you see all of those things, eventually it will pay off. 
Yeah, definitely. We can go ahead and turn the corner now to basketball. Since we're already talking about recruiting, we can, uh, I guess, touch base on all this stuff that's going on with Josh Pastner and maybe talk about how that could possibly affect recruiting. And you know, obviously, I, I mean, I'm sure everybody's heard by now, but they're suing him. It's Ron Bell, Ron West, whatever his name is. Crazy, crazy woman. <laughs> He's uh, she's suing him for a sexual assault. Um, and Josh Pastner claims that there is zero, 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 zero truth behind any of the allegations. Kelly, how do you feel about it? <clears throat> I've had Josh look me in the eye and tell me he did nothing wrong. So when someone does that and you're going, it's his word against a guy who's a convicted, you know, whatever he was convicted of, uh, several crimes and has been run afoul of the law and spent time in prison. I'm going to lead towards the guy who's got a pretty, pretty nice reputation and quite Not frankly is one of the, ni- and quite frankly is one of the nicest people I've, I've dealt Absolutely. with the coach. I've had very little experience with him, but every time he's always been, he's always been incredibly nice to me. He's always smiling, always, you know, answering our questions truthfully and things like that. And he, I mean, he just doesn't, give me a bad vibe by any stretch of, of the word. So, I mean, kind of like you said, there's just like, I, I, I personally, I mean, he's never, I haven't asked him about it. He hasn't looked me in the eye and said, no, Jared, I didn't do it. But I mean, I, I believe the man for what he's saying. And obviously, obviously Ron Bell's a guy that's, you know, a little, little bit cuckoo, a little bit different up in the head. So, I mean, it's probably just a way of them trying to get back at him for, you know, the things that, not even the things that he did, but for his response to the things that they did. So, I mean. Well, he's trying. So what Josh is trying to do ostensibly is he's trying to get ahead of them so that he's not harassed endlessly by them claiming different things and whatnot. So he filed a lawsuit and then they came out with this sudden claim of, you know, that he did X, Y, and Z to this woman and, yeah, and, and at tech. but they never filed a police report. Um, never mentioned this before at any other point, um, as far as we know, in terms of to the NCAA or any other people. So that's where it comes across pretty, pretty freaking sketch, you know, like, um, I, you know, could it have happened? Sure. I mean, we've seen, you know, the one, the, one, the one thing that's weird to me is I love Josh. He's a great guy. I, I am a little nervous by people that don't seem to have outward vices. And Josh doesn't really seem to have any vices as far as I can tell. Like most people I know, they either swear, gamble, are um, drinkers. Mm. <laughs> or have some sort of outlet for maybe they like guns, whatever. Like there's some sort of thing that they do to blow steam off. And I can't seem to figure out what his thing is. So that's the only thing that's a little bit weird to me in this whole situation. But, you know, there are some people that are like that, that are just, that's just how they are. I've had a few, I've known a few people in my life that have been, um, just kind of wired differently and maybe that's how josh is by all accounts from everyone i've ever spoken to about him that's known him well that's sort of the vibe i've gotten he's kind of just sort of a a basketball junkie and that's sort of his vice is basketball and coaching and grinding Mm -hmm. um so hopefully that's what the case is you know 
Um, all this will be, you know, adjudicated um, in the courts of the state of Arizona. Georgia Tech's hired a, a pretty high-level investigator to to do a thorough background check on on Josh, just to kind of help clear his name and also for their own benefit. Because if there is something, they don't want to be caught off guard. And you, if you do have to make a change, God forbid, it, you want to be able to do it in a way where you're not paying someone off. Like you want to be able to execute a morals clause. So it's an, it's the right thing to do for the program to protect yourself. You know, at the end of the day, the Georgia tech basketball program is a uh, eight figure business, right? Right. It's, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars. And Mm -hmm. so you can't just, you know, hope that everything works itself out you need to be proactive and that's what todd stansbury's doing and josh understands that and he's cool with it um and you know ultimately if he has done things the right way um he should be really cleared by what they're doing and everything should come out you know perfectly for him so that's sort of the yeah. hope. I mean, it's not the first time we've talked about it when, when was the last time that all this crazy stuff happened was it i mean it was what November-ish? Maybe yeah, so it's every – and that's what Todd's concerned about, and that's the other reason why they wanted to bring someone in to check it out. You don't want every three to six months something to pop up that's going to be kind of a blight mm-hmm. on your basketball program. And let's be honest, next year they have a chance to be um, special. Like, At least on the bubble. Yeah. Like, I think they can be on the bubble. I think they have an opportunity to have a special season. So, absolutely, and like you were saying, whether even if you didn't do anything, you don't want things like that to be reoccurring. And and if it does, if it does, like regardless of his innocence, if if things like that keep on happening, you just you you may have to step away just because you can't deal. No, no program can deal with any kind of distraction like that. And and Georgia Tech's definitely dealt with their fair share already this season. So you don't want to see. You really don't want to see anything happen much more after this season because I mean you've had you've had the beginning the first one which was I, I mean I keep forgetting what it was about I mean I, it was about what oh like, about them going here. going with uh, with was, Ron like, Bell out out to Arizona for a yeah. trip and sitting in his hot tub and whatever and <laughs> I mean why they thought it would be fun to go hang with some weird guy at his <clears> house and. That one still kind of boggles my mind, but um, and then the LeBerry stuff, and then now you have this too. So I mean, basically, you just you don't you don't want to see it keep on happening. And like I said, regardless of his innocence, if it does keep happening, you might have to go a separate way. However, I, I mean, hopefully this will be the end of it all. I I truly believe that that Josh is, I mean, a man of his word. I don't I don't think he did anything wrong. So I mean, if that's the truth, then then it'll all work out. And and hopefully, like I, I know I mentioned this to you, it could end up being a cool story by next year if, if the team does end up turning around. Yeah, and it'll be something people will point to and be like, you know, see, this is really what it's about. And, I, you know, that's 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 the hope for everyone, I think, involved, including Josh, that, you know, they turn the corner next year. Um, you know, Josh is – this season's really worn on him. He tries to put on a brave face, but I know just from talking to him that, you know, I mean, it, it's been, been a tough year for, for him both emotionally and from, you know, a family absolutely. standpoint. And being a basketball coach in the ACC has got to be hard enough already as it is. You got all the, the, you know, heckling fans 
you know, watching your every move and, and having their opinions about every little thing you do. So that, that in itself is already hard enough. And even if you weren't a basketball coach, nobody deserves to go through, you know, what he's going through right now. So, I mean, it, it, like I said, it's just one massive distraction. Nobody needs to deal with it. And it, it, I, it's got to be hard for him. So next year, hopefully by this time, it'll all be, or not even by this time, before this time comes around, it'll all be, you know, figured out. It'll all be over and done with, and hopefully they can turn around. Yeah, and, you know, looking back, this is this is sort of the lost year for Georgia Tech basketball. You know, they had opportunities to be pretty good this year, and instead um, you just couldn't find a way to close games. And then I think the sort of culmination of everything happened Sunday night when Jose Alvarado goes up to challenge a guy in a dunk, which was kind of insane, like – He's going up and challenging a guy who's six. Yeah, it's like Wendell Carter. He's like two fifty. Yeah, and like he literally went higher up in the air. <laughs> like the guy carried him up further up in the air, and yeah. then just dropped him basically straight on his elbow, <clears throat> and mm-hmm. dislocates his elbow. He's out for the year, and it's just sad, you know. Like the kid played literally his tail off. Yeah, forty and, minutes a game every game. ACC as a freshman. I mean, it was it was definitely amazing to see. And, you know, people didn't really give the guy his due either. That's the thing. Like, people are like, oh, yeah, he was okay. I'm like, okay. I was like, this kid's playing as a, a freshman. Like, uh, this is as, this is about as good as, like, you're going to see, you know, in this league. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was just – it frustrated me that, that the kid didn't get more credit. He should have got a lot more credit for, for the way he's played this year as a, as a freshman for Georgia Tech. And I, I like to think that I, I wasn't one of those, but I can think of one instance where I was guilty of that. And it wasn't even like not giving him credit or, or like dogging on his effort or, or his stats in any way, shape, or form. But I was talking about, I think it was after, what game was it? I don't even remember. But I was talking about Josh Okogie and how well he played. And somebody pointed out to me that, that uh, Jose Alvarado played nearly just as well. And, I mean, it's just like – He's not Josh Oko. He's like he's not the first name that people are going to go look at because he's not putting up, you know, twenty nine points like Josh did against Duke. But I mean, it's it's the things that he does on defense, and he may have a turnover here or there, but usually he makes up for it by you know being super aggressive on defense, getting the ball back with a steal or, or forcing a turnover of his own. So I mean, like you said, he's he's played very 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 well as a freshman, and, and everybody seems to be confident that he'll come back better than ever, and I I truly believe that he will. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with him and how his uh, how his health kind of shakes out out of all this. And you know, the big thing with that when you have an injury is uh, confidence too, making sure that your confidence stays up. And um, you know, we just have to hope for the best right now for for um, for uh, Alvarado, and um, hopefully he can come back and be. You know, pick up right where he left off. I think what stinks about it is he's probably going to miss quite a bit of time in the off season in terms of being able to really play. Yeah. So I think that that's going to be kind of an issue, and how much his game develops year to year. Um, Just got to hope that it doesn't end up being something like you know the Lammers or or Kogi situation in the beginning of this season where you know they can't they they were they were able to play but probably weren't back to a hundred percent until. To later on, so, I mean, we obviously obviously we know that Lambers wasn't wasn't one hundred percent when he first got started. However, he did play very well against UCLA. That was arguably his best game of the season. 
The but, first game, yep. <laughs> but he still wasn't he still wasn't 100 in that game. He wasn't for a lot of games after that. But you know, I, he, he's he's not playing at the same level he was last season. But he's still not even doing remotely bad job. So, and and with the Alvarado stuff, obviously you you, you hate to see that happen. But there was two bright spots that that you know came in after, which was Evan Cole and Moses Wright. And I think that was something that not only fans needed to see, and but I think that I th- honestly I feel like Josh Passner needed to see that as well, because you know he's always been really you know skeptical about the rotation, only rotating like six or seven guys, and and now he now he knows. I mean, obviously that they didn't play like, and they didn't do anything insane. But actually, I, I take it back. They did. I mean, Evan that Cole dunk was, that I mean, Evan Cole had was insane. Yeah, that was absolutely insane, and even 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 Moses Wrights was crazy too. And they both played their absolute tails off. And the team played with really high energy, played at a really high level and outscored Duke in the second half, you know, with them being on the floor for most of the game. So it was I, – I personally, I loved it. And I thought it was good for, you know, like I said, for the fans. And I think it was good for passing to see that they could go and get some meaningful minutes in an ACC play too. Well, it's funny because that's been the one thing that I haven't agreed with Josh about all year is I felt like they needed to play those kids and – We've gone. I've gone back and forth with him, both on the record and off the record, about you know kind of my feelings about it. I thought it was a mistake, what he was doing, and not at least cheating and cheating some minutes in for those guys to get them into games. Like mm-hmm. even if it's a minute or two here, just to keep them fresh and keep their minds right. And um, you know they showed why they should have been playing all along and. Especially yeah. when the seasons, I don't want to say shot, but well, you know, I mean, not... here's the thing: like he would tell you, honestly, he can't say it on the record, but yeah, he's known since they lost at Boston College. That was it, right? That right. was the end of the season, basically, yeah. because that pretty much guaranteed that they were out of um, the NIT. Right. So they needed to finish basically 500 or better in the ACC to go to the NIT. So now that's toast. So, like, you've got to focus on what you can do. And what they can do right now is build for next year and get those kids time and get them that playing experience that they need. and Give them make, something to build off of. Yeah, and get something place. out of this season. Like, don't make it be, like, a lost year for your program. Yeah, definitely. But, and, and like I said, we saw Okoge drop 29, I think, 29 points, six rebounds, four assists, somewhere around there. Maybe a six and four flip flop, but another good game from him. He probably, probably, I mean, he probably hurt his draft stock a little bit this season. I mean, you won't see him be a projected first rounder anymore, but I think that's probably a good thing for Georgia Tech because you'll definitely see him come back next year. And <clears throat> you know, it could have been, it could have been the same situation as Lambert. He, he probably wasn't 100 percent when he came back against who was it? Was it right? It wasn't right state. It was uh, goodness, I don't even remember. It was a team before Wright State. It was another state. But anyways. Yeah, he came back because he felt like their hmm. opportunities were slipping through their hands. Exactly. And, you know, he thought he was going to be drafted this year. And um, all of that kind of went south on him, too. And so, you know, he's going to have to come back and prove himself next year. And Hmm. I think that's good for him. I think that – you have sort of a really nice piece. I mean, if you kind of look at the big picture, even if uh, uh, Jose Alvarado is not 100% out of the gate, you add Mike DeVoe, you have Shambari Phillips eligible, so there's two guys who can play the point. 
You yep. have Okogie, you can play the two or the three. You have Curtis Haywood, who's an excellent three wing player, great defender. He will be back. He's he's the guy that his his injury more than anything else is what ended their season in terms of being a contender in the ACC and mm-hmm. being a bubble team. When when Curtis Hayward got hurt the first time, he had finally kind of found his stride. And that's something Josh will talk about. Like that was sort of the pivotal moment in the season. They he was the one sort of X factor guy, right? Who could turn it on and hit four or five threes in a game and really stretch out the defense. And when he got hurt, really up until that point where A D started to play better, they were really hurting. And so now you get that back, you have AD who will slide into that post position. And then you have a bunch of different guys that could play that four. You have Christian, the kid they signed from Texas via, um, where is he from, Denmark or Sweden, one of the Nordic yeah, countries. Yeah, some, somewhere. And <clears throat> then you have Moses and you have Evan Cole. And I think they were going to, from all indications I've had, they're going to end up getting a a transfer big man. Um that will come in with either a year or two to play. So uh, immediately. So, you know, I think they have a really good shot next year. They're going to have the deepest team. It's certainly the best amount of talent that, that Josh has ever had to play with here as a yeah, coach. There's a lot of potential to be like a, a scary big lineup as well. I saw somebody saying something about it, but if you had like Evan Cole, Moses Ryden and AD and all at the same time, that Moses Ryden and Evan Cole are both really big dudes. And the craziest part is, they both hit a three-pointer in that Duke game, and I, I loved it. I mean, obviously Evan Cole's a dude that we knew could shoot, but I, I didn't expect Moses Wright to get out there and bust a three. And, you know, that's sort of a, a, another little sort of X factor in all of this, too. You have guys who can score. You have um, guys who can hustle and play defense, and that's the big thing with Evan and, and um, Moses right now is learning to play without fouling. Um, being a little bit smarter at times on defense. And as those kids figure that out, they're going to be very dangerous um, with their athletic abilities. Like, it's just a different animal. And um, I think that eventually it's going to – they're going to end up being pretty good players for Georgia Tech. And I think that you are seeing sort of the pieces of the rebuild. You know, they're still still not getting the Derek Favors or Wendell Carters or – and I don't know when that'll happen. That's sort of – that's going to be what can kick it up even more, like to where you're getting into being like a North Carolina kind of program. Yeah, the one and done. But, you're, you know, right now they don't need that. They need guys who can stay and help, as Josh says, get old and stay old, right, and yeah, buy into your program. These guys that we see breaking out are all young guys. And like you were just saying, there's a lot of – good young talent coming in. So, I mean, the good old stale thing might be, you know, taking shape. Yep. So let's switch gears now and let's dive into the, 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 uh, questions. Let's see if we have anything interesting that people want to know about, uh, for, for this week. Okay. Uh, you got it. Or you want me to read them? Why don't you go ahead and, uh, we'll, uh, Okay, the first one is actually kind of what we were just touching on. Kelly, do you think Passner will stop trying the back-and-forth lawsuits with Ron Bell after this pissing match? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think 
he did something preemptive that ha- he felt like he had to do. Um, you know, I, f- I feel for, for Josh in the situation, what I've likened it to is, uh, I have an ex-wife who's a, a divorce attorney and I got to see kind of the ins and outs of that process and how crazy people can be. Mm-hmm. Um, not her and I, but her clients, like what was oh, done yeah, to some yeah. of her clients and whatnot. <laughs> and, Essentially, what Josh has is he has an angry ex-wife that won't let go of him and wants to be a part of his life. And if she can't, she'll ruin it. In this case, the woman's Ron Bell. And so, you know, he's going to do everything he can to, to to make Josh miserable and try to, to, to keep him. Because it's really all that guy's got, right, in his life. And he feels like Josh owes him something. And it's just not the case. And yeah, it's a. It's not the case, but b. It's just stupid. And yeah. <laughs> so this it's is just like going to. Yeah, and so that's what you have. You have, it's like fatal attraction of, you know, the crazy basketball fan. So until he can figure out how to to legally keep this guy away, you know, and the one of the things I worry about is you know Josh's safety too with someone that's not maybe fully stable. Like, you know, that's something that I think no one's really picked up upon either. But Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if I were him, I'd be, I'd probably be getting some security like to be around me. Um, Absolutely. You never know what's next. The dude's trying to like actually ruin his life. And even the woman said that in law, she was like, justice will be served and I won't stop until it is blah, 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 blah. So whatever idea of justice they have served up in their head is, is like probably something insane. And if they're saying they're not going to stop until they think it's served, then it's probably best that he does do something like that. Yeah. I think he needs to protect his family and I think he needs to be careful. Um, you know, uh, you, when you deal with, um, People who are, I'm trying to use, choose my words carefully here, Deter, with the level of determination that you're seeing um, from them to, to interfere in this guy's life, I think you got to really, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's one of the things that scares me, you know, as someone that does, that's even in our little sphere of thing has some notoriety, um, and it was more so when I covered UGA, I, I, you know, I can remember going on um, a date one one time, a double date when I back when I covered Georgia, you know, this was 12 years ago. And the guy, the other, so the other couple that was with us that happened to be married, their, the husband knew who I was and was a subscriber to the UGA rival site. And uh-huh was fawning over me, which was kind of weird. <laughs> and, you know, like it, it made me uncomfortable as a, you know, at the, at that time I was probably 25, 26 years old. Um, but just sort of seeing just sort of the edge of that stuff. Like I can't imagine what someone like Josh, you yeah. know, like, even I, you know, I have a hard time even imagining what kind of the student athletes go through at a place like Georgia Tech. Oh that, yeah, that are in the city. I see kind of, you know, I was very close to Justin Thomas. I saw kind of what he went through, dealing with all of that, the the ups and downs of it, and um, 
a lot of other players too that that passed through over the years and um it can be scary because people can manipulate and people want things from you and um or feel like they're entitled to something from you and mm-hmm. it, it's not it, it can really go sideways on you and that's you know sort of my concern for josh he has young kids like um you know what be, you know, taking care of that aside from everything else that's going on, that that that's a concern. Yeah, definitely. And, and like you said, we'll probably have to take action eventually. But I guess to get back around to his question, do you think that, you know, the pissing contest will be kind of over after this one gets resolved? Or do you think Josh will respond with something of his own? I mean, I think his uh, the adjudication of Josh's suit will... It, assuming it, it's resolved one way or the other, um, I think... Hopefully that will be the end of it. I know that that's, you know, sort of Todd's hope that it gets resolved this time around and, and yeah. th- this is it, the end of it. And he gets, you know, hopefully for Josh's sake, he gets the, um, he gets a protective order or whatever he needs to, to keep this guy from interfering with his life or trying to come around or whatever. And I thought he did try to do that after the first one. Did he not? Yeah, I don't remember, man. There's been so much back and forth in this thing. Yeah. Um, I think it was something like a restraining order or something. Obviously, it's not the same thing. But I, I, I feel like I remember he did something, but maybe not. But anyways, so I guess, yeah, to answer that question, hopefully it'll all be over after this one. Moving on, Buddy Smiggins asked, who are some kids coaching staff? I think he's talking about football. He's definitely talking about football. Who are some kids coaching staff is wanting to come out strong in spring practice? You know, um, in terms of uh, – it kind of depends because I think it's going to – the defensive side of the ball is sort of a um, a blank canvas right now. Like everyone wants me to, to tell them, well, this guy's going to play safety, this guy's going to play outside linebacker, this guy's playing DN, this guy's playing rush linebacker. Mm-hmm. They don't know. <laughs> like I can tell you for a fact from talking to Coach Johnson and the staff and Coach Woody – they do not know yet, like where yeah. everyone's going to play. That's going to get sorted out, yeah, probably all the way through camp. I, I mean, I don't even know that it'll be solved, you know, prior to the end of camp. Like, I think we could see some of the position competitions drawing, and even position changes moving well into um, the beginning of fall camp as they continue to tweak and try to figure out where guys go. I mean, Paul said it himself, like. He thinks maybe A.J. Gray should be playing, you know, linebacker. And I agree with Paul Johnson. And I think that if A.J. Gray wants to play in the NFL, that's his best opportunity. So, you know, there's going to be things like that that are going to come up. Will A.J. want to do that? Um, You know, kind of what's his receptiveness to all of those things are sort of these X factors. But I think really the biggest questions are on defense. And I think if you go beyond that, the next biggest question mark that you're going to want to see answered in the spring, if you're Paul Johnson, is who's going to be your guy at wide receiver? Is it going to be is Brad Stewart going to stop overthinking and play and relax and be the guy he can be? Is Jalen Camp going to step up be the guy? Is it going to be one of the young guys like an Adonica Sanders or Steve Dolphus mm-hmm. um, that come in and 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 take that? take that job for themselves is charlie thomas the kid that came in as an early enrollee who's extremely physical as you just come out and 
knock people down in the run game and ha- force his way onto the field that way. So I think that is the other position that I'm kind of eyeballing. And, you know, of course the kicking thing is going to be fascinating, but I think the kicking thing is going to go well into when they get the start getting preferred walk-ons on campus in the fall because I know they want to have kind of a wide-open competition in the fall for the kicker job. Yeah, so I mean, I guess to answer that question, I mean, everybody, I guess. I mean, we have a new coach and basically a whole new scheme coming into this next year. You want to see, you know, everybody give, show, you know, break out, show them exactly what they can do, come out strong. And one player that, that somebody I was kind of pinpointing was TK. And, you know, with him getting hurt recently, probably won't be able to see him in the spring. So that was definitely a bummer for me. Yeah, TK, you know, had surgery on his arm. Um, I think that, uh, you know, that's that's one of those things. I don't know that it hurts so bad. You have um, Brandon Adams. You have Kyle Search Henderson who have played a ton. Those are probably your two nose guys right now. And then you got Chris Martin and um, – after that, it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Chris responds to, he was a guy who was in Mike Pelton's doghouse. Um, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see if if he can respond and, you know, find a, a way to play. He This fits him a little bit better. He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's got some good size on him. Um, but he's not tall. And I think the scheme fits him a little bit better, so maybe he's a guy. That's where this gets really interesting, right? There's a lot of guys who are kind of in this no-man's-land position-wise. Jaquan Henderson was a guy who played last year that was in that. He was mm-hmm. in a weird sub-package and playing on special teams and stuff until he got hurt. Um, he's a guy who could have, be an explosive player in this defense. You know, uh, there's a bunch of these weird linebacker types like Trey Jackson and Jacob Brashear and Tyler Cooks who have not seen the field much that are all guys that are going to have a clean slate with a new staff and an opportunity to kind of make a name for themselves with with you know this coaching staff and can they do that can they make that big step forward and you know I, that that's kind of the interesting part about it I, I had something that Paul Johnson liked that the idea that they have a blank slate, that all these guys get to come in and, and really try to win the job. The other one that will be interesting to me, um, and I don't know that this will necessarily unfold in camp, but I wouldn't be shocked to see Jerry Howard really push uh, Cravante Benson for the start. Oh, job definitely. Um, at B-back, like, to me, like, if I'm... If he can, if, I feel like if he can hold on to the ball, he'll be, I mean, basically better or just as good as Cremonte. I definitely think there's um a, a chance for him for sure like he's uh he's got what you know he's sort of I think to to me he's a better version of Diedrich Mills like mm-hmm. um he's got that just perfect like power speed combination and really, if your quarterback's going to be – because your quarterback's going to be either be um, Quan, Lucas, or Tobias, right? Um, mm. <coughs> you need a thumper to, to counteract them. That's sort of one of the big points I, I tried to explain to people when they ask about, um, you know, fits in the in the offense and, you know, the difference between Josh Nesbitt and a, a – uh, 
you know, JT or Tevin or like the differences between the different types of quarterbacks. The biggest thing to me is um, you got to have sort of a counter counterpoint to the quarterback. So if your quarterback's power guy like Nesbitt, then you need a Dwyer, a Cavante Benson, a guy that's slick. When you have a Justin Thomas, you need a thumping Sinjin Day, Zach Lasky kind mm-hmm. of guy who can grind. Yeah, or completely. a Diedrich Mills, right? Definitely. Either way, I think that, that Georgia Tech will be, you know, fine at the B-back position with, you know, Cravante, Jerry getting a chance to, you know, really step his game up and get a lot more playing time. And then, you know, Christian Malloy coming in will have a chance to compete and all that. So, I mean, I think a B-back, that, that's probably one of the more deeper positions on the team. Yeah, and, you know, you still have the Ponchez Mason kid who's going to probably play some um... – who's going to play probably both. Um, I think you'll end up seeing him more at A. They want to get a little bigger out there. That was one of the things that made, um, you know, Anthony Allen so special in that 20, uh, 2009 season, right? Yeah. He, you could run that rocket toss out to him. You could run it on fourth down because he's going to run through a cornerback. He's not going to get leg tackled in the backfield mm-hmm. for a loss. He's going to break that tackle. Yeah. And you can do maybe things a little bit differently in terms of your blocking, too, if you want to. Like, you can straight up – you don't have to cut necessarily with a guy that size. You can straight up block them and try to, you know, keep the guy in front of them. So, yeah, there's a lot of interesting um, sort of subplots to all of those uh, different, you know, permutations and opportunities uh, in terms of mixing and matching personnel now. So this, I guess, this spring will be exciting. Looking to see a lot of people step their game up. We'll go ahead and move on to the next one. GT Twenty One wants to know: Can you give an overview of what has been constructed or renovated, and if you know of any future plans for renovations? Uh, I guess you're talking about athletic facilities. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know how far back he wants to go. Um. Um. Since Paul's been here. Um, they've done a minor locker room renovation. They built the indoor practice facility. They built, they fixed up the coaches' offices. They redid the team meeting rooms. They redid the individual um, position meeting rooms. They basically rebuilt all that from scratch. Um, and they've done some sort of stuff around those things like adding video elements and <clears throat> some technology they've redone the recruiting the lobby um into the football offices uh for recruiting that's where they have those cool like mannequins with the uniforms and the shadow boxes with all the trophies and all that stuff yeah, yeah. all that stuff but that's really all been done in the last couple months um that's about it um kind of there's two things going on right now with sort of where they are in terms of um, their next project. The edge renovation sort of trumps everything, right? The problem they have right now is they're out of room in the edge on top of everything else. And you have a lot of things that um, that uh, you got to kind of deal with in terms of creating space, even for like a 10th coach. So there's some – just even those things are, are kind of difficult because – they're very confined with the, the amount of space they have in terms of the offices and all of that. Um, I'll be curious to see what exactly Todd has in mind for, for those uh, construction plans going forward. 
Um, you know, Dan Radakovich kind of balked on it. Paul Johnson's original idea for the indoor was kind of what I thought it should be. They should have locker room out there and uh, um, some meeting spaces off slash offices out there. You know, whether something like that eventually happens, I have no idea. I don't know that you could do that with the current structure setup of that. Um, Basketball-wise, they want some updates to their locker room as well. That got blocked during the Mike Babinski era. Um, Gregory actually went out and raised the money for it, and it still got blocked um, because of concerns about the women's team or something like that. And them needing to get their upgrades, but I think Michelle Joseph just went out and raised money to do that. So I assume Josh is probably going to get some stuff out of all of this. And then they're doing a giant capital campaign. So uh, there's going to be some other things. You know, obviously baseball just redid the whole underneath structure of uh, the Rusty Sea. So basically they kind of ch- fixed all of that up. Mark Teixeira donated a ton of money to, to allow – uh, Danny Hall to, to kind of fix that facility up. Um, I think the softball seems mm-hmm. to be okay. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, softball is good. Yeah, the tennis, they, they put a new video screen in over there. Um, I don't know much about a lot of those non-rev sports, to be honest. Like, I just don't have the time to, to kind of check in on those um, as yeah. much. But hopefully that answers the guy's question. Yeah. Or so down, I'm not sure. Not say? really a question, but... Newton GT wants some in-depth speculation on the quarterback position next year. <laughs> uh, there will be one. Yeah, seriously. Um, there, that's about as in-depth as it's going to get. I mean, I think that it's going to be an open competition in um, in the in the fall. Uh, you know, I know that people talk about leadership and all that stuff, and if, you know, Taquan's the captain. Taquan's <laughs> going to be the first guy to tell you, as competitive as he is, if a guy beats him out, that's great for the program because that means that guy's playing his tail off, right? Um, now, he wants to be the quarterback, which totally understand. Um, you know, what does that mean um, in terms of, uh, you know, the the spring? I don't know. Paul Johnson said he wants to get in a situation where he feels comfortable being able to pull someone out of the game if they're struggling at quarterback, and that's his big goal for uh, for um, Lucas and Tobias is to get one of those guys to the point where they're comfortable bringing them into a game and not don't feel like there's a big fall off, which is the concern this past year and. You know, to, to have competition, quite frankly, I mean, I think there's something to having competition. Um, I think it makes a huge difference for for everyone involved if if there's someone pushing you to – it's just like anything in life, right? We If you're not being pushed to be better, you, you get complacent, whether it's right. at your job or, you know, even in relationships, you have to try to – to do the best you can, you know, people take things for granted and, um, opportunities for granted and lose their edge sometimes. And I think that's something that, you know, Paul Johnson's benefited from as a coach too, like being pushed a little bit, being, you know, that having a chip on your shoulder and having that competition, it makes everyone better. And I, I know that's what he's hoping for. The, the concern with Lucas has always been, um, his confidence and leadership in the huddle is not 
like Quan's very laid back but very intense. He will jump in a guy's face. Lucas doesn't have that confidence to do that right now. Mm-hmm. And um you kind of have to in this offense, right? It's uh it'll kill you if you don't have confidence and right. that's why he was cool playing Matthew and not so cool playing playing Lucas and that's the biggest thing that Lucas needs to work on in this whole offseason is making sure that he's you know comfortable um being that guy like the guy that gets in people's faces and and then the guys believe in right in the huddle and when he has that moment um maybe you see him really start to push Taquan but you know my feeling is Taquan didn't play well in the second half of the season because the defense wasn't playing well and special teams was got off and he felt like he had to score every time they went on the field that is my honest opinion about why he struggled so much more in the second half of the season than he did early, and that's why his passing numbers went down. He was pressing. And, and that's, that's kind of brings us to another question. You can keep on talking. Sure. But it's kind of like you're answering another question right now. This is with the way the season closed on offense, you know, with Duke and, and, and Georgia and Taquan's passing struggles, why should we be optimistic about the offense next year? So you can just keep on going, and I feel like you're kind of answering that question already. I mean, when uh, they've had Tevin Washington, and Tevin will tell you this, Tevin is not the world's greatest athlete. They won a lot of football games with Tevin Washington playing quarterback. Yeah. Taquan Marshall's a hell of a lot more talented than, than Tevin was. And he is capable of winning football games. He is a great athlete, a great leader, and I have every confidence that that kid can get the job done. Um but, you know, he's got to have some help. They didn't have any defense last year in key situations. And when you go on the field, every time you go on the field, you feel like, well, shit, i got to score a touchdown because if mm-hmm. we miss our turn, we're going to fall behind a score. And then what happens if we fall behind? You know, that what-if game and the offense not being built to try to get into a shootout, um, those things are, are just the way it is. And, and the thing that – really pisses me off about tech fans is <laughs> Paul Johnson said for freaking two months, three months before the season started, even after spring ball, that the defense would have to step it up because the offense was not going to be as good as it yeah. had been the previous couple of years. Mm-hmm. He was, I that. he was, li- I don't know. He would not be any more clear about that. <laughs> and yet, Everyone's fixated upon that. The defense has sucked for like a decade, pretty much. And all he wanted was like average from the defense. And yet it was the offense's fault because they didn't. I mean, it's, just, it's crazy. Like, understand that the offense has been the thing that's carried you for all this time. And they had one bad year, really. Because you know, 2015, they had a bad season, but. That was they were devastated by injuries on the offensive side of the ball and, and the defensive side of the ball that year. That was mm-hmm. such a a fluke thing. And one thing I, that that is undeniable about both seasons. I mean, you had your Duke game and your and your Georgia game this season, but other than that, all the games are close. It, it's not like you're getting blown out by anybody. I mean, you make one play, it could definitely you know turn the entire pace of the game. Turn if you don't season. if you don't give up points to Georgia before the half, that's a different game. Absolutely. Obviously, Miami. We can t- we can talk about that all day. Tennessee. We can talk about that all day. This is little things like that, and and 
both of those were on the first half of the season. So absolute momentum killers. You kind of start to get that feeling that you, you know, can't close out a big game. So, I mean, that those two games there, for me, was kind of like a dagger in, in tech season before it even, you know, got started almost. So that, that wasn't good. Yeah, and it, it snowballed on on the guys. Like, I mean, that's the end of the day. That's what happened. Like, we're all people, right? At the end of the day, we can be influenced by the things that go on around us. And mm-hmm. um, they were sure as hell influenced by what, ha- what happened. I mean, the defense lost their faith in Ted Roof. That's the biggest reason why Ted Roof got fired, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah. Um, those kids... Uh, they had been fighting with him for three years, oh, two and a half years. Like they just didn't believe in what he was doing. He was tinkering, trying to change things. Essentially, Ted was trying to almost call the defense against the type of plays they were facing, as opposed to uh, trying to have a, a you know cohesive plan for for attacking um, the other team. It was like he was being reactive and not um, proactive, and you can't win like that. You're just not going to. Like I don't care who you are, and those kids felt that man, and that you know shakes you up as a player. Like that's pretty damn tough to to deal with if you're, you know, trying to go out there and stop someone on defense, and you don't feel like you have a chance because your your coach is put in something that you don't understand or you only had a couple of days with or whatever, all of that stuff's going to eventually come back and bite you. And that's what happened to them last season, in my opinion. So I guess to, to answer the question, I mean, there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of reason to be optimistic. I mean, you're going to have a quarterback battle, which was kind of something that I feel like Matthew Jordan's injury kind of gave Quan like a, you know, kind of like a cushion almost like, there, there, there was a skill gap, I believe. However, when when Matthew Jordan gets hurt, it's like Taquan's probably thinking, okay, no one's going to take the jump from me at this point. Whereas now, I mean, he's got uh, you know a lot of Tech fans, the coaches even are going to be pushing Lucas Johnson. To, they're they're going to be telling him to take the job from Taquan. So I mean, he's going to light a fire under him. He's going to have to come out and perform a lot better on offense. We we touched base on it earlier. You know, they're going to be deep at B back. Though Jerry will have a chance to to play a lot of good minutes. Uh, along with Carvante and, and some other guys too. And then, you know, really the only questions, the offensive line's looking good with, you know, DeFore coming in if he's able to get that year of eligibility. You got Mike May coming in and the guys from last year, Jahazeli, Stickler, things like that. Plus all those and, kids you didn't play last year. Let's let's not forget that. They have Bo Tufel, you have Mike Minahan, you have Zach Quinney and Charlie Clark who all redshirted last year as yeah. offensive linemen that they signed in the previous class. So there's a lot of depth there. And like you said, you get Marshall back and you may get, you know, boost if you get, um, what's his name, uh, eligible. So, so the, the biggest question mark really, as far as offense goes, in my opinion, is just receiver. Who's going to be the guy to step up and, you know, be, be the Ricky June, be the smelter, be the Waller, you know, who's going to be that guy. And I think if they can find that, then there's plenty of reason to be optimistic about, you know, the offense next season. And every time it's kind of been like that, they've someone stepped up, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they they, they don't recruit that bad at receiver. I mean, I think these kids are plenty enough talented to you know be that next guy. And there'll be some. There's always going to be um, 
someone that steps up at those positions. It may take even part of a season sometimes, but you're going to end up finding whoever that diamond in the rough is. Right. So I guess we'll get to the last question now. We had to skip over because we uh, started talking about the offense. How, but <clears throat> can we campaign to sell out the first game of the year against Alcorn State? Um, I feel like – so my opinion about playing those type of games is you do play them the first game of the season. I think there'll be a good crowd. Um, people will be interested. In the crowd same. wasn't that bad in 2015 when we played Alcorn State. It really wasn't. No, and I, I feel like that – wasn't that game on a Thursday night? It was. It was a Thursday night, really late. I mean, and the crowd was on. I mean, it was. It was. It wasn't bad at all. It was better than what I expected. So yeah, I think that. Um, I think the crowd would be fine. I'm not super concerned about all that. I mean, it would be great if they sold it out. Um, will they? You know, I don't know. I mean, would I go to that game? Would I go to that game if I were? If I lived in, if I'm a Georgia Tech fan and I live in. So let's say Savannah. Oh man, <laughs> would I go to that game? I'm you know, back in the recliner for that one. Yeah, so that's sort of the problem when you play those, right? That's you know, it's a that's catch twenty two for me. Like you know, mm-hmm. do do I want to go? Yes, but do I want to go bad enough to get off the drive, couch? You know, eh. drive all those hours, pay that much, pay for parking, pay for tickets, pay for food, all that. Well, that's where you get into trouble. You know, that's the the biggest drawback to going to games, right, versus sitting at home. I mean, I run into it myself. You know, one of my goals in life is to go to every FBS stadium and see a game. Right. And it's hard because, obviously, I'm spending if you 12, don't ask it, 12 of them. Uh, oh, so you want to know how far? I actually have a list. I'll, I can count it real quick for you. I have a list, too, but I guarantee mine's not nearly as close as yours. Cause it's, a, it's a goal of mine, too. Not every FBS stadium, but I have a long list of ones that I do want to visit. But, uh, and I'm only counting the ones of for a game. Like, I've been in many other stadiums. Um, to, to, oh, okay. Yeah, to, just, just, just to, to go. Like, I've been to the Horseshoe, but I've not right. actually been to a game there. Like, I just yeah. went and visited. I've, I ran around the track at the University of Texas when I was a kid, but I haven't been to a game there. Like, okay, um, so you, so things like that, yeah. Because I, I try to take a, a big picture of every stadium that I go to, and I kind of I put it in the notes next to the team's name because, I, like I said, I have the same list as you. <clears throat> but mine's not every FBS team. It's just like a, I picked like ten schools from each conference and and try and try and go to all of those. But we'll see. So I've been, I think, to thirty three. Thirty three, which is kind so of lo- out of a hundred and the- what is it, a hundred and thirty eight? Is that right or something? Whatever the hell it is now. Um. All they, I've been to every ACC one except for Cuse and Boston College and Louisville, which I will go to this year. We should make that a bye week trip, Kelly. If you're not too busy with one of your other teams, we should make that a uh, we should make that a bye week trip to you know go out somewhere and go to a stadium that we wouldn't be able to if not for Tech. Well, you know that's what I, I mean. Like, there's lots of and there's some rivalry. Like, I'd love to go to the Red River Shootout, and I'd like to oh, yeah. go um, to Bedlam or you know, there's lots of these like things. You know. I, <laughs> I've been to rivalry game. I mean, I've I went to probably ten, you know, cocktail parties in mm-hmm. my career, and I've you know been to. I think I've been to every. You know, it's funny. I've been to every Georgia Georgia Tech game except for the two thousand eight one. Um, 
for, for the last 20 years or whatever. Um, Jeez, that's awesome. That was the one that I missed. I was in Las Vegas. It was hilarious. So um, eventually you're going to have to take that take that game off. And Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, they, that's an interesting thing because, yeah, there's some games there too. But, yeah, I remember the, the 2008 game. Um, I'm in the airport in Las Vegas. I went out to Las Vegas uh, for Thanksgiving. And I was it was the year I took off from covering college football. And um, I got I was listening to the game on Sirius XM just because I was curious. I didn't you know I hadn't started covering Georgia Tech then, so I had no. I really had no stake in it other than I was just curious kind of how the game was going to go, and um, <clears throat> I still knew a lot of kids in the Georgia team, so I was kind of curious what was going on there. And uh, I put the the game on and Georgia's win at halftime. I was like, okay. And I literally turned the radio off and stuck it in my pocket and um got on the plane flew back landed and um turned my phone on i had all these weird text messages from some buddies that i went to school with at georgia and they were like <laughs> like i can't believe that happened and i was like what, what what what's going on and this was uh-huh. sort of this was before it, like i just show you how, how much times have changed in 2008 jared i had a phone that slid out and had a keyboard <laughs> like it um and it had rudimentary internet capabilities I probably did too though um so you can you had to like uh type oh, yeah, you definitely. had to type in you know like maybe the, there weren't even apps then so like oh no there was nothing even remotely close to an app like i remember not being even if i was at home like i couldn't connect to my wi-fi i don't even know if there was wi-fi really couldn't connect to it could you know get on the internet even if I was at my own home? So definitely. And I pull up the score, and I remember thinking because I knew Paul, I knew of Coach Johnson, and um, you know I knew of Georgia Southern, and I had spent time down there. I dated a girl when when Mike was the coach. Actually, Seawalk was a coach down there, and so uh-huh. I was I knew the offense, and we were that was what we ran in high school, and. Um, I remember thinking, I was like, oh, that's going to be a lot tougher than what Chan ran uh, for Georgia. And I heard a thing, I was just like, holy hell. What did, I was like, Roddy Jones, like, wow. So I remember him in high school and just being like completely flabbergasted at what happened. Because yeah, um, really close. at that point, think about it too, it had been, what, <laughs> nine years since they had won a game or something like that? Uh, it was like, it was like seven or eight. But yeah, yeah, I mean, it had been a Boy. while. So it was ninety nine, I think, or two thousand was the last time they won. They had won. It was the first time that I was like, you know, because it was the first time that I was like able to really enjoy a tech victory over Georgia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember being. I had been at the last. That I think it was the might have been the second or third game I'd ever covered was the last time Georgia Tech had won. Um, so that was pretty amazing um, to to see kind of like then I remember thinking to myself I was like huh so I wonder if Paul Johnson and I was like they were you know Chan just always they couldn't get over the hump they never had an offense so I wonder if now that's what's going to turn the corner and it was funny like uh, it was almost two months later that I got contacted to come cover Georgia Tech Um, Uh so it was very fascinating how that kind of all unfolded and then um 
you know, what kind of changed, I think, a lot for me was seeing the level of uh, the student-athletes at Georgia Tech and um, kind of my admiration for kind of what they go through and how hard it is for the coaches. And I think it sort of changed my opinion a lot about Georgia Tech in general. I kind of came at it at first as sort of as a pragmatist. Like, this is, you know, I was sort of like, I guess – detached from it a lot more and now I sort of care I, you know I'm not like cheering in the press box or anything but I care that I, I care for the, the the kids and you know my yeah, friends who are tech people and the, yeah like it's like I, I hope they do well like it and it's good for my business quite frankly when they do well right exactly. so you know um, it's just been <coughs> interesting how much things change and, and literally that was 10 years ago so um it's kind of amazing to me to to think back um, at, at that moment where I thought, you know, it got my attention, right? And, you know, Paul's had a couple of cool moments like that. Um, but I think everybody's kind of waiting. They want to see like that, that um, he needs like another moment like that, sadly. He's had a few, but I feel like that would get a lot of people kind of back on the boat, right? You mean like a turnaround victory against Georgia? Yeah, like just having something, another, like whether it's beating... Um, Maybe like an ACC championship or something. Yeah, when it, that would be great. Like I feel bad. It still kind of irritates me what happened to them with the ACC and championship and, you know... I don't care what anybody says about the team. I mean, I was there. They won the game. Yeah, they won the football game. They, they won the ACC championship. I don't care if it's vacated it, it right now. They won the game. Like, As Dabo said, I was there. I'm pretty sure we lost. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and it was so stupid the reason it was vacated, too. You had North Carolina letting kids not even take a class. 653 kids, Jared, went through that fake class that were student-athletes. And and nothing, absolutely nothing happened. Nope. Georgia Tech, what was it? Like a pair of shoes or something? Three hundred and fourteen dollars or something like that worth of apparel that the kids would have happily paid back. Exactly, and, and we get our ACC championship vacated from us. But I, I, I have a very strong opinion on that due to the fact that I have been a fan my whole life. So, I mean, either way, I mean, even from the outside looking in, whether you're a, a Georgia fan or a Georgia Tech fan, it's it's just ridiculous and not. But yeah, like you were saying, it would be it would be really big if if they could somehow make something like that happen, you know, in one of the soon years. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that would be, um, yeah, and that's something I think Coach wants too. And it's gonna be hard, you know, as he points out, a lot's changed from when he got hired to now. Like in Absolutely. terms of the league, the league's way different, and so. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of um, what happens over you know the next few years with Georgia Tech because they've got a lot to do in terms of catching up with you know just to keep up with the boys like and I know you're talking about getting on the same page as Georgia because that's a different animal like the guy who's there now is hell bent on winning exactly and I don't he, he I know he coached under Nick Saban so he's kind of like you it's it's almost like being raised that way. And, you know, I know Mark Richt and knew him really well, covered him for many years. Um, Mark Richt was never hell-bent on winning. Um, it was 
never the most important thing to him. <clears throat> Mark Rick's so, heaven bit. Yeah, so <laughs> it's different to it's that it's gonna be interesting to see if the thing blows up, if it goes well, like what happens there, right? Long term, because that's a juggernaut. They're sort of at where Clemson was those first couple of years. Um, the first years they were successful with Dabo. So, like, are they going to turn the corner? I don't know. You know, uh, what's his name? Dan Mullen certainly doesn't believe they're turning the corner. But um, aside yeah, that from, was great. I was so uh, happy when I saw him say it was, that. It was a tremendous troll job by by Dan Mullen, but. It's going to be interesting, man. Like, in, if you're Georgia Tech, you got to step your game up, whether it's you're doing it out of shame or because you want to. But they need Either to. Way, it's got to be done. It's got to be done, man. Like, you can't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. No and there's enough way. money, even with a smaller fan base, there's enough money floating around for them to be able to do the things that they want to do. And, yeah, and, and I think with T. Stan, you know, it, it'll happen whether it's sooner or later. But we touched on that earlier. He's, he's kind of, you know, making sure it's more money than than it has in the past goes towards football. So that way, you know, they're not like a, bringing a gun to a knife fight or a knife to a gunfight. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, um, but I think that about wraps it up for this week. Uh, any final thoughts, Jared? Uh, no, not really. Georgia Tech will be playing Wake Forest the day that we talk about this, so that should be an interesting game. Should be a should be a game that I feel like Tech can win. Wake's got a few good players. I know you're a lot more familiar with their team than I am, but you know, I mean, it's gonna be gonna be another good opportunity to see if Evan Cole and Moses Wright hopefully will get some good playing time. Hopefully, we'll be able to see them play at the same level of production that they did against Duke, <clears throat> and hopefully, it should be should be a Yellow Jacket win. So it's an interesting clash in styles. Um, Wake Forest is three, sometimes four guards at a time, and then a really big, big man, uh, Darrell Moore, is like seven foot one and two fifty or whatever he is. So it's a it's a clash in styles. They like to gun, shoot terrible threes. Um, If they get hot, that it can make it really interesting. You know what happens when teams shoot threes against Georgia State? So yeah, and they're a team that's horribly underachieved this season. So. you know, you got two teams that are sort of in the same bubble of, yeah. uh, you know, they've sort of both played them played their way out of the NIT, and wait, I mean, Wake's what are they? They're two and eleven, I think, in the ACC right now. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> this is sort of a preview, probably, of the first game of the ACC tournament, actually. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, Georgia Tech's not played great on the road this year. Uh, Wake Forest played better at home. There are a lot of sort of things that kind of point all over the place. What kind of lineup is Josh going to go with? Um, you know, do they just go balls out with the kids and let them run around? I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm very uh, curious about this. But we'll see. And it's on <laughs> Valentine's Day night, so I got to figure out how the hell I'm going to convince my wife to, to let oh, me watch man, the game. I'm supposed to go see a movie tomorrow. Oh, well, we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll have to. Dang, Kelly, we're going to leave you in charge of that game day thread, okay? Huh? <laughs> I'm going to be I'm gonna be out to dinner with the wife because uh, otherwise I would have gone up to Winston-Salem to cover the game. So um, I felt like uh, 
I could not make that move. I, my my uh, I, my wife misses me enough. I have to be around for Valentine's Day. I can't can't not do that. I'll I'll leave that thing to Ken and his situation. He can uh, piss his wife off, but me no, I'm, I'm good. I'm not gonna. I'm choosing the wife over the uh, the the basketball t- t- game between Just two two sub 500 ACC teams that have underachieved. I, I'm good there. Just this one time. Yep. Well, uh, well, hopefully it'll be a Jackets win. I think that um, it's a good opportunity to steal uh, steal a game in ACC play against another team that's also faltering. So, uh, be curious to see what Josh and the boys do. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. We'll see tomorrow. Maybe might have to check the score after the game. <laughs> we'll uh, D- DVR that thing and watch it after my wife goes to sleep. Yeah, something like that. We'll be updating the game thread around uh, midnight, so we'll we'll talk to y'all then. All right, cool. Well, for Jared, I'm Kelly. This has been the. Jack-